Welcome to Try Babies, the podcast where we're not afraid to be seen trying and crying. You're joined by Sunroom co-founders Michelle Battersby, that's me, and Lucy Mort. That's me. We helped build the world's largest dating apps, Bumble and Hinge, and now we're in the thick of building our own tech company, and we're bringing you along for the ride. Each week you'll hear from us as we fill you in on the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to business, career, relationships, and everything in between. We'll tackle your try or cry questions and share workplace tips that we've learned along the way, as well as interviewing inspiring business leaders. So get ready to go after what you want, be courageous, back yourself and build your dream career. This is Try Babies. Welcome back to Try Babies. (laughs) This will be an interesting ep today. We're going to be talking about the evolution, we'll say, of the girl boss. But let's kick it off with our trial cry. So, Lucy, what have you been trying or crying about this week? Uh, well, on the trying front, I'm working with Georgia, who leads our content and social efforts, on figuring out ways that I can like naturally and authentically show up more on my Instagram for the sake of our business, but also I think for the sake of like building my identity a little more. And I think that is something that I don't know. I felt a bit of an unlock yesterday when we did a session and I feel like good about some things that I can try. Crying, uh, I mean, very literally shed a lot of tears last week. And that was a lot related to a lot of like realizations that I had about our product, the way I was operating, feedback I received. It was sort of like a, a shaking waking up moment for me. Like, are we off course? What can we do to get back on course? And yeah, it was like emotional, but also like very clarifying. Mm. What are you trying and crying about? I don't even know what I'm trying and crying about. I think I'm trying not to think about the fact that I had a really scary genetic result come back relating to my pregnancy. So I ended up getting really thorough genetic testing, found out that I carry a pretty nasty syndrome. So now Bill has to get genetic testing and it just, it was a bit of a surprise. I just didn't expect it at all because I didn't really realize the extent of the testing I'd got. I'd never really heard about carrying a syndrome. And I think because all my friends in Australia have done quite narrow testing, I just never really heard anyone talk about it before. But it definitely just makes you feel a little bit less excited about things. Like I was about to send out invitations for a baby shower. And then I just thought perhaps I shouldn't do that because Mm. I should just wait. And unfortunately these tests are taking fucking forever. So it's been, you know, I think it's been 12 days or something now we're going into Thanksgiving. If we don't get those results back today, I'll have to wait another five days whilst everyone's MIA. So I'm obviously not doing very well at trying not to think about it Mm -hmm. because I'm just, (laughs) it's clearly occupying my mind. But there's that. So I guess it's like just surrendering to the things you can't control. Like heard a really good one-liner the other day, which is pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. So like just accepting something will happen, I suppose, and I probably shouldn't make life harder for myself. That's honestly the main one for me because it's just lingering in the back of my mind 24-7. Yes. So to get into the episode, (laughs) Girl Bosses. What do you think about when you hear the word girl boss? Oh, man. Well, for a start, I cringe. I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the girl boss label, it was almost like 
born or, or like given to women by an industry that sort of didn't know what to do with these like newfound women leaders. I find it kind of like a little belittling. I find it like it diminishes a woman's work a little bit in a way. Mm. I find it's like turning women leaders into like a caricature. And yeah, I, I think it's interesting to like dig into to why. But like, what do you think when you hear the term girl boss? I think about how it came to be. So it was actually coined by Sophia Amoruso. She was, you know, the original girl boss. And she made the word up. She wrote a book about it called Girl Boss, hashtag Girl Boss. And it really all just stemmed from, from that. And I do think she was using it in a way that was a little bit like, look at me, you know, I'm not like a regular CEO, I'm a cool CEO, you know, I'm a girl boss. <laughs> and I think from that point on, it was any woman founder who looked a little bit like her and existed in a similar space was then labeled as a girl boss. Like all the original girl bosses, like Audrey Gelman from, um, is she away? No. What one is she? The Wing. The Wing. Yeah. The Wing. Yeah. So like Audrey from The Wing. There was like the man repeller CEO, who I can't remember her name. Refinery29 was popping off. Steph Corey, I think mm. it is from away, like a very controversial one. Emily Weiss from Glossier, huge. In They're all from that era, but they were all predominantly white quite pretty. They were all working on consumer products, consumer brands pretty much. It was definitely, you know, the millennial pink tone mm. color that everyone was using. Like I think the Girl Boss cover of the book is actually that pink that just became like the color of all the brands from that era. And it was very much built by women for women. And it it was it was kind of this girl boss era, I suppose. But I think it was also just coming off the back of, I think it was the fourth wave of feminism that did come to be in the 20, early 2010s. And it was women being able to step into the spotlight a little bit. It would be so interesting to know like the stats of women leaders that were on the cover of magazines around that time, because I think the girl boss era probably did do something good in bringing their mm. work to the surface. And I think it probably did empower a lot of people to look at them and think, oh, I could do that. That seems amazing. They glamorized these jobs and they romanticized what it is to be an entrepreneur, which isn't realistic at all. And like, it definitely has its problems that we will 100% poke into. But I think it also did make a lot of people feel like maybe I should give that a crack or mm. maybe I could do that too. And then you step into it and realize it's not what it looks like in the glossy magazines. And I think a lot of those businesses I just listed off ended up having quite big cultural problems and like they did lack representation and it was like always a certain kind of business and a certain kind of brand. But mm. yeah, I, I also feel like are they to blame? Are they to judge? Or is it just a representation of where society was at at that time and like the mm -hmm. pendulum was swinging and women were reclaiming their power and they were building these fucking incredible brands. But then we kind of realized, well, what's wrong with these brands and what's wrong with this image? And mm. it's not that inclusive. And so 
Now we're just seeing the pendulum swing hard the other way. Yeah. Because I'm kind of like, why did we have to create this like this cute little category? And like maybe you kind of have to when you look at a space or an industry that is traditionally dominated by a certain type of person. Like maybe you have to then very clearly be like, all right, we're going to designate this space here. I'm going to call it this so that this new category of people, in this case women, felt welcome or felt like there was a, a mm. place for them. Yeah, I think now maybe that there's been this sort of like, it's almost like a put down. It's like almost like a derogatory term, like, oh, the girl boss. It is. And so maybe like I'm looking at it through that lens. I'm like, it's kind of like infantilizing women a bit. Just the fact that we use the word girl mm. as a, like instead of woman. Yeah. And boss, boss, like nobody uses the, like in white collar industries uses the term boss. It's kind of like used when you're like, oh, the boss told me to do this. You know mm. what I mean? So it was like. I think it was interesting that Sophia like branded it that way. Mm. Um, I agree for now, now in today's moment, I think for someone to say girl boss, it makes you squirm a little bit and it might make you feel a bit like, why do you have to, why do I have to have the girl label in front of it? Mm. I think because the terms become a little bit icky, but I don't feel like that was its original meaning. Mm. It was more to lift people up, but it was only lifting certain kinds of people up. Mm. And I think it was really glorifying hustle culture. Like it was really sell your soul. Your job should be your number one priority. Don't do much else. Who you work with are your friends and you don't Mm. really have a life outside of that. And I think that's where society is, what society is challenging now Mm. and why people are like, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to fit in that box. But I also think it's so interesting how these boxes usually always exist when it comes to women. Like I don't think there are that many trends on the internet around the way guys work as there are women? Like, are we just more drawn to trends or is it society trying to label us as one certain thing? Are we trying Mm. to be, you know, told to be one dimensional? Like, I find it fascinating that there's just so many trends relating to the way women live their lives. Mm. I mean, maybe people were just so shocked that like women were really building these like epic companies and building like organizations of, of women around them for the first time like en masse. Uh, but I think like Silicon Valley, they do have a little bit of like a history of coming up with these labels. Like if you think about the tech bro, like that is this derogatory label that we came up with off the back of like these like very masculine kind of like toxic work cultures. But there's literally no women in There's no women. It's so exclusionary. Mm. And I do think... They probably go and race cars on the weekend. (laughs) I'm perpetrating the stigma right now. (laughs) But there's like a little bit of like the exclusive vibe that was in like the, you know, the way the girl boss operated. Mm. Um, Like, yeah, it's culty. Right. It's culty. It it is really culty. And this is an interesting tangent to get off on. And I don't know if this is correct or not, but in some instances, it was also people with not much experience ending up running these huge businesses and not necessarily running them in professional ways. And I think that's what led to a lot of the toxicness Mm. and the rapid growth and just the money that ended up going into some of these brands and then there was a lot of a lot of things were proven as well but then there's also the debate of are women founders held to different expectations than 
male founders and they're expected to be kind and empathetic and nice, you know? Yeah. And just all the takedown pieces. I think now, like as an industry, we're pretty good at spotting when a journalist is like really unfairly targeting Mm. a a woman leader. But it was like pretty gnarly for a period. Yeah. I actually did an exercise the other day because I was writing an article on this and I looked up founders like Emily and Sophia Amoruso and I looked at Forbes and the New York Times and I looked at the articles they wrote about these women earlier in their journey, like in 2012 or 2014. And then I looked at current day articles and just the contrast in the headlines and how we as a society or the media labeled these people as, you know, revolutionary and the people to completely change these spaces that they were operating in. And it was real, they were really put on a pedestal and then they were torn down. Mm. It's a little bit of my fear about like, yeah, and maybe we can get into like how we we personally identify with the term. Like I remember when we were founding Sunroom, feeling a bit of a sense of like inadequacy or like, will I be able to do this and be the CEO of this company? Because I look at all these other like, you know, women in their twenties and thirties who are leading consumer or social brands. And they are the like quintessential girl boss archetype, Hmm. um, really attractive, very expensively dressed, very outspoken, always in the media. And I looked at myself and I'm just like, I don't think I am that. Mm. Like, am I going to be able to do this if I am not that? Mm. Because there was such a, was such a mold. Yeah. That was such a mold. Yeah. I feel that like, I feel even in my time at Bumble, I like started to act the way I thought I should. Mm. You know, I wore the power suits. I dressed in colors to match the brand. I completely played an act that I thought, a role that I thought you had to play to exist in that space. But I think I've come to realize where the power is. And I suppose maybe this just comes with age and experience is like embracing the way you're different from these archetypes and these boxes that we've been shown in the media for so long. Like you even saying what you just said will be relatable to so many people who've probably just been waiting for someone Mm -hmm. to say that, but they're scared to maybe challenge the status quo because it can feel like you're challenging the status quo a little bit just Mm -hmm. to be yourself sometimes and to stay true to your beliefs and your values. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where like this pendulum switch is kind of landing What I've been thinking about is like now we're seeing lazy girl, snail girl, quite quitting. And I think these trends are really interesting as well. And there is a point that loops back to this in the end, but it'll take a while. I want to know what snail girl is, but maybe we can loop back to that. (laughs) It'll it'll take us a while to get there. But like you hear lazy girl, right? So it's like girl boss over here, lazy girl over here is is what you you might think in your mind. I think it's important to remember that all of these trends and eras, they're often just very extreme. And I think sometimes the internet doesn't really have space for for nuance, you know, like it's it's one or Mm -hmm. the other, all the intricacies are ignored. And I think when you hear lazy girl, you do think it might be this completely contrasting thing to girl boss, but I actually don't think it is that. Like I was watching this video from the girl who came up with lazy girl, um, lazy girl job, and it's actually really directional and she has really clear boundaries and it's all about working a job that doesn't really have set hours but still you can afford to live like it's paying you 60 to 80 grand a year maybe it's in customer 
customer care, maybe it's an account manager, something that's not overly technical but still quite stable. And so you're not called upon late at night. You aren't worrying about childcare. And I just felt like that's not actually, that's not lazy. That's just being really clear about where your boundaries are and what you're willing to put in. And it is prioritizing work-life balance a little Mm. bit, a little bit more than maybe a girl boss would, but you also wouldn't be able to pull off the lazy girl job if you weren't good at what you were doing throughout the day. So it's not this like complete rejection of showing up for work and doing your job and getting paid. It's just you're going about it in a slightly different way than the traditional girl boss mind. Yeah, I like it. It's like, again, just presenting a different sort of choice for people, a different a different path. What's a snail girl? Is Isn't that the same it just thing? completely slowing down? Oh. <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it is just taking like a slower approach to, okay, yeah. to work. Should I Google it? <laughs> Seriously, let me just check I've got that right. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I have. It's prioritizing self-care and happiness above overworking. Mm. So, yeah. One thing that I've, like, been asking myself recently is, like, can I have a soft girl era and simultaneously run a company like Sunroom? Mm. Like, can can both of those things be true? Because I think I really miss my free-spiritedness. I miss my, like, carefree, I'm going to go do this, that, and, like, I don't know. I'm so wound up with responsibility that like, I don't know, like my femininity, I think suffers my, yeah, Mm. my carefreeness. And I I just like, what do you think about that? Yeah. I feel like this is something I've also thought about, but I think I'm quite good at knowing how to shut off and really force myself to shut off because I'm I'm the kind of person that needs a day to do absolutely nothing and have no one speak to me to be able to survive a week. Mm. So I do create those moments for myself where I truly do nothing and I watch reality TV or I go and get a massage or I read a book or I cook something and it's almost like this moment I have to just recharge. And I think that's a bit soft girl. It's it's mm. a little bit lazy. It's definitely like gross girl, you know, like I just <laughs> let myself be be a slob and like mm. don't really hold myself to any expectations. And I don't feel any guilt around that because I know that for me to be able to function at my full potential, I have to do that. And I don't, it's not something that I've necessarily had to enforce. I think it was just this instinctive realization that if I kept doing what I was doing, I wasn't really going to be able to survive. And so I just automatically, I guess, created Mm. this, this time and space for myself. And I honestly think it's why I touched, like I've never burnt out. Yeah, I haven't. And I think it's because I do let myself do that kind of stuff. I think it can sometimes be looked at as like, if you're caring for yourself in that way, you are neglecting your responsibility or you should be focusing on other things, but you can't be your best self at work if you're not giving yourself time to recharge. So it all, you know, it's feeding the same engine. Yeah, That's not a saying. I don't even know what that means. That's (laughs) the only way I could wrap that up. For me, it's like a deep nervous system thing. And I can't, like, I, I take time off, I take days off, but I can't like switch off like how my nervous system is feeling, which 
is very related to, I think, the stresses of work. I can't just like be chill now. Maybe if like when I go on vacation for like a week, like it, it just takes a while for me to like come back to like a nice pace where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm so chill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even when I went to that health retreat nearly a year ago now, it was four days of just being completely off the grid. And I noticed over those four days, I had aggressive, I don't know what this means. I should probably Google it. Aggressive like tech music playing nonstop in my head. Like I would just hear Fred again, or I would hear Rufus, like these songs were just coming out of nowhere and I could not stop constant music playing in my mind. And I was trying to get to this point of like, can there just be nothing going on in my brain? And any moment I wasn't journaling or doing an activity or focusing on something, just this tech music came back into my head and just filled it with noise. And I would love to work out what that is about, but I think that's probably a nervous system thing where it's like, I have to have something going going on up there. Mm. Um, but I still think it's like good for the mind, body and soul to do, to do those things. Yeah. I think I just like, I don't have enough spontaneity in my life anymore. I don't have enough like, oh, I'm going to go out and see where the night takes me. It doesn't matter if I don't come home till sunrise. Mm. Well, that like, could also be the fact we're like 30. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fucking scary to do that once you're in your 30s. <laughs> Yeah, it it'll take you a week to recover. It definitely is. But like, you know, yeah, you, the, the recovery is important because we have to show up on Monday and be very on. I I feel that. Like I definitely have got pretty in my head in social situations. I find it very hard to just let myself go and surrender to the night. I, I can only do that on a Friday. I absolutely can't do it on a Saturday because I'm already thinking about work and how this will affect me at work, it's a bit easier to do on a Friday night. But yeah, the responsibility does just start to seep in because you know you're going to be tired. You know, you know you haven't done something super wholesome, but you still want to socialize. I think those situations are a little bit harder to navigate Mm. and completely let loose. We're taking a quick break from the episode to jump in and say thank you so much for listening. We love answering any of your questions that you have about your career, going after your goals. So if you have any questions you want us to answer, hit us up with a DM or a voice note on our Instagram page, Try Babies Podcast, or our Facebook page. Back to the episode. So I think with all this girl boss, like, I don't even have all my thoughts together on this just yet. It kind of was thinking about it earlier this morning. But I also think this girl boss mentality and this this hustle culture and just capitalism in general also can make people feel like they have to be doing something, like they Mm. have to be building a business, they have to be building a brand, particularly in the social space. And I think Kim K is almost someone that you can use as an example here where she was just, people would say she's famous for being famous. You know, she doesn't have any talent. What does she actually do? Mm. Uh, And I think that famous for being famous or you're just an influencer, you know, these dirty little slogans and words to kind of make people feel like they're not doing enough can then propel people into feeling like, okay, I need to start a podcast. I need to start a fashion brand. I need to start Mm -hmm. a beauty brand. And 
I also have been thinking about that. Like, does that lead to brands just being created for the sake of a brand because this person feels like they're not respected or they're not credible enough or Mm -hmm. people are judging them or looking down on their work? Like, what actually is wrong with being being famous for being famous? Like, you can't get famous if you haven't built a community or you're not talking about things people resonate with, Mm. you know? I think there's probably a fear that it's not, you know, your fame and your visibility is not evergreen. And so there's like a, it it might feel a little bit unstable as Mm. a career, like you are on the hamster wheel and you have to keep going. Whereas like building something like a software company or even like a really awesome product company, there is like a legacy or there's something that then can just like Mm. sit in your in your place. Yeah. I just can think, and I won't label, I won't list them, but I can think of so many influencers and slash creators, whatever word we're using that have built brands and then they just vanish Mm. and they are out there for maybe six months or a year or two years and then they're gone and you never really hear why. And I sometimes wonder, was that something they were truly passionate about or did they just feel like they needed to mm. be doing something else? And then what are consumers being left with? You know, like what is the mission behind the brand? Is it fast fashion? Is this like a pump and dump? You know, like am I just trying to make quick cash right now yeah. at the kind of expense of this community and then I'm just going to wrap it up and I'm not really going to talk about, about why? Mm. I think I can definitely understand that longevity. I think if you're trying to make what you can off something that could be a short moment, a fleeting moment in time, I think that I can understand that. But I also think of it from like a waste and just consumption perspective and I guess we're both focused on doing something that has a mission Mm. versus just like putting something out there maybe because you feel like you have to. Yeah. And then like, is this coming from your like management? Like they are just like looking to ways to like really juice everything and juice you. Yeah. Um, I wonder if some people just totally underestimate the years of iteration that's involved in developing a product. Because yeah, a lot of uh, influencers and creators out there are launching physical products that still need like R&D and product development and feedback from customers Mm. to then make it better and better the next time. Yeah, And like, do people understand that that is like a multi-year commitment to get to something good usually? A hundred percent. Also, another thing on this is then I've been aware of creators really being taken advantage of Mm -hmm. because there are companies out there that do just develop these really quick brands and products and you can just white label things and they approach creators with strong brands, say, let me do this for you. Mm. And then that creator is like paying for the maintenance and outsourcing all of that and might not have the kind of depth of knowledge about what they're actually taking on and then the upkeep of that business. And then they're ultimately the one that has to wear that decision because they're the front person Mm. on it all. I wonder how difficult it is to find, because like creators need to partner with like operators, I guess, to bring these products to life and these brands to life. 
And I wonder if it's hard to find operators that are like interested in doing like really talented people that are interested in doing that sort of work and like sticking at it for the long haul. Mm. I, I feel like that's when you need to be, like I think it would be fucking baller to work for one of the Kardashian brands. Yeah, I would find it fascinating to get an insight into the Kris Jenner brain and how they navigate things and I just feel like they would be up against a lot of skepticism mm. frequently and having to prove themselves and every move they make is being scrutinized like from a comms PR perspective that would be fascinating but it, it would also be a, a maybe like a different way of looking at what to build and how to build it like think of Kim's like nipple bra that she launched the other day I'm sure that came from like okay what's something that's like really d- ridiculous that would go viral yeah this okay let's build the product it's like oriented around what's going to get eyeballs yeah. on our accounts yeah okay then should we go and build it as opposed to like what do people really want do people really want the Bra. I've, I I really don't know. I personally don't. Would you? <laughs> no. Yeah, I no. don't I don't I don't need that in my life. I wonder if they've actually put it into production. No, you can buy it. Oh my god. You can buy it. I've, or I don't know if you can buy it, but I've seen I've seen it at least being gifted or what I thought were packages arriving at people's houses. Okay. A couple of times I noticed the nipples were in a bit of a weird place as yeah. well. I'm like, I kind of prefer where my normal like nipples sit. characteristically high, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's like you, natural boobs, have a, they're a little bit lower. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, V2 of the product, the actual nipple part is movable. <laughs> <laughs> you stick it on. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she just has like you know nipple covers, but they've actually got a hard nipple oh, on them. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, okay. So to close this out, I feel like lazy girl, snail girl, quite quitting girl boss. All of it is just progression, and I think it allows for people to see themselves a little bit in in each one. Like I feel, I can see a bit of myself relating to the girl boss narrative. Like I, I do really care about my career. I have been willing to sacrifice a lot for it. I enjoy showing up to work. I get a lot of fulfillment from being good at my job, but I also do want to take time for myself. I do want to be able to close off from time to time. I do want to have other things going on in my life outside mm-hmm. of work. So I feel like a lot of people probably just see themselves a bit in each of these trends. And that's maybe what it's about. Yeah. I want to know what identity is like Sheryl Sandberg, like the sort of quiet female execs who are just like really fucking powerful and like move the needle forward a lot for these like huge organizations, but they're not the, yeah, what's she? (laughs) I I think so many people would refer to her as a girl boss Mm. because she is very much in the mainstream media. Hmm. You know, lean in is like, that was huge. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see what everybody comes up with next. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any ideas? Do you have one you want to throw out there? Mm. What would be your trend? If you were to create a trend today, what would you label it as? This is really throwing throwing the curveball at you. <laughs> this is not my answer, but what first came to mind was androgynous boss. <laughs> like really inclusive. Um <laughs> I don't know, like may- maybe something that is like the understated boss or the like the, the the person who like quietly chips away and like is really fucking moving things mm. um, and their company can still be successful. 
maybe I'm just like hoping that I can do this <laughs> mm. <laughs> without being like really like loud and glamorous and like mm. glittery about it. I feel like you also are just underestimating your like power in the public eye. Like we're sitting on a podcast right now. <laughs> You're being recorded. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I just like don't really see myself in a lot of the female leaders that we've pinned up as mm. like inspiring. And it sucks because like it is really, it is the ones that often be end up being quite commercial that get that spotlight. Mm. I think, I think, but mm-hmm. there really are so many out there that just aren't really given that limelight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess how, like, how do we change that? Yeah. Is that the media? Is that society? Yeah. I think they're like women who are building really great, valuable companies, but like not in like a glamorous way. They're probably just not as exciting to report on, I guess. Yeah. Perhaps like a B2B company might not mm. be that interesting to write as interesting to write. <laughs> Oops, as interesting to write about as a direct consumer. Mm. But like Sunroom's a fucking cool brand, great mission, all about empowering women and non-binary people. That's a story that people want to write about. It's also just really hard to build a public presence. Mm. Like it's something that has to be worked on. Like you do need a PR team. You need a PR team to be pitching you. And that's why it often isn't that accessible. Like all these Mm. girl bosses had publicists and really great PR teams getting their story out there. Mm. So that also kind of makes it a little bit, it's less accessible in the traditional media space, but now with TikTok and Instagram, if you are putting yourself out there, you're able to give yourself a bit of a head start. Yep. So we're now at the part of the episode where we have some of our listeners that have written in looking for advice and we're going to offer try or cry wisdom. Hey, Michelle and Lucy, I'm 29 and looking to completely change industries from healthcare to media. What do you think is the best way to go about getting experience? Should I apply for internships, work for free, hit up different company founders online or offer to help? I'm wary that I may have missed the boat and that there are people emerging from university who are younger, more affordable to employ. Any advice would be really appreciated. I mean, I think this is definitely a try, not a cry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's exciting to change careers, but it also is not for the faint-hearted. Mm. I would say healthcare to media, I don't know the extent of that transition, like not really sure what they're doing in healthcare. Are they writing a lot or are they a nurse or a doctor? So I think I would first be trying to get experience in this space if I didn't already have it. Like, is there a course maybe they're doing on the side? Are they going to go back to uni and study part-time. I think that's the approach I would I would take in this situation because it does feel like quite a big yeah. change industry yeah. and career-wise. So I would really be going back to university or finding a course just to start to upskill and get a bit of experience. Or is there some other way you can generate a body of work? Like I think about the world in which I would receive a resume and sometimes I have before where there's like very irrelevant work experience, but they're obviously trying to make a career switch. But if they've like then gone and done some side projects within the, you know, new space that they're trying to move within that like look good. Yeah. I don't know. You you probably just need to work to like prove yourself more. You should be willing to say to someone like, give me the homework, give me the most pressing like business problem you're facing and the media team uh, Mm -hmm. right now. And like, 
give me like 48 hours to try mm. and like have a crack and I'll like present to you something. Um, if you're, if you're naturally good at this, if you're not yet, yeah, maybe to your point, go and educate yourself a little more with the the language yeah. of the industry. Yeah. I would consider working for free. It's just a good way to get your foot in the door if you can mm. do it. Like, do you know people in the industry that could give you that yeah. Mm. Seriously adjust your salary expectations for sure. I mean, maybe you need to figure out like whether you even can adjust your sal- salary expectations at this point in your life. Yeah. Cause I noticed they said people that are more affordable, but mm. if you are changing industry, you have to be prepared to go back to square one and actually be taking an entry level salary, not a salary for someone with X amount of experience, but in a different industry. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. A quick ask if you enjoyed listening, it would mean the world if you could jump on Spotify or Apple and review the podcast. Five stars only, please. We need to build that army so we can read what you loved and what you want to hear more of. We're so grateful to have such an incredible community of empowered, motivated and confident women supporting each other here to go after their dreams. That's what we've needed most throughout our journey. You can subscribe so you don't miss our episodes or head over to our Try Babies podcast Facebook group and Try Babies Insta where we can connect with you more and ask us questions that you want answered in the show. See you on the next episode of Try Babies.